trash about the things people love to hate and hate to love and we're your hosts shelby and matt coming to you a little bit battered because yesterday (laughs) was the double whammy of one trump announcing his presidency (laughs) again and two perhaps worse news the uh taylor swift uh ticket sales the great debacle of 2022 also happened shelby Give us a rundown of the Taylor <laughs> Swift situation because I wasn't following this. I feel like I want to know all of the grisly details, yeah. um, but also I feel like it's something that we need to discuss yeah. in the podcast. Just obviously. a process, honestly. Yes. I mean, rundown is a good word because that's how I'm feeling. I, I've i done this, like, you know, Taylor Swift tickets. I've gone to her shows since Red, um, and they've just gotten progressively <laughs> – harder to get into, which I get because she has rising popularity. And especially this era, she's coming off of a long time since touring. She's gotten a bunch of new fans through like her Folklore Evermore era, but then a revamp of interest with her re-recordings. So it's been a huge like balloon of fandom. And she has this like She's done the rep boost system, which was her reputation. Everyone made fun of her. She was letting people like sort of get ahead in the queue over a period of months where we would like watch her commercials or music videos or like buy her albums and you'd get like extra points basically to then be given a specific time period to buy tickets. So while it was stressful, it was much more easy for like the you know, quote unquote, obsessed fans to like get access early. And that process at the time was so stressful to me, but I would give anything to go back to it. Oh, gosh. Anything. Because this one was basically, she did the verified fans like Ticketmaster thing, which is where you basically have to prove you're not a bot by having like a Ticketmaster account and it's linked to your email and you can only access tickets through that exact account with the pre-sale code they send your phone number. And the idea was that she's like, oh, if you bought Loverfest tickets, you'll give you'll be given priority. And then her team sent out a message to anyone who had bought merch or albums before the release and was like, thanks for supporting her. You're going to get an extra boost in line. And so people thought, well, maybe this will be like Rep where you're kind of given early access. But instead, it was like a random lottery to get a presale code. And so... I had like, how many people? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people in my life sign up just to see. And only five of us got pre-sale codes and it was random who got them. Like one of them had just created an account for this and got it. But then my sister who's gone to many shows didn't get one. And so I was like, okay, you know, I imagine this will take like an hour to get through the queue and buy tickets for the Houston show. So I just like put a little hold on my work calendar and was like, you know, MIA. 
<laughs> but then immediately, immediately the site kept crashing for people. They were trying to do it in waves where it was like every hour a new time zone opened. Um, but by the time Houston opened, the site was just like, um, we're on pause. Uh, don't refresh. Don't change your don't don't like exit out. Don't use your computer at all because you'll lose your place in queue. So just like stay here frozen in time. And that continued for like two hours. (laughs) And then once the queue opened again, it took another two hours for me to get into the site to buy tickets. And then everyone, I had technical issues where it was like not accepting. It kept giving me an error message and I had to like empty out my cachet of cookies, you know, whatever. And that uh cooked me to the back of the line. I had to go back to the queue. Swifties were learning how to read code and like see the server language on the website to find out how many people were ahead of them in the queue. And it was like 20,000, 15,000 people ahead of you. It was a whole mess. And then they had to like push back the West Coast time. They had to move the Capital One presale to the next day. And there were instances where people would go in after waiting in three hour long queues and the tickets were just sold out. Like it was just, there was nothing available. And the things that were available were dynamic pricing was on so that someone had gotten it for $50 somewhere else, but now suddenly it was $150 because like, quote unquote, the, oh, there's just such a high demand, an unprecedented demand, a historic demand. But it's like, Ticketmaster sent out the codes. <laughs> like, that's what confuses me is they're like, wow, we did not expect this. Everyone showed up. It's like, you sent out the invites. You you planned this party. And, and now you're faulting us for not having enough food. You know, it was just like absolute chaos, absolute anarchy. There are Swifties who are like, I can't believe Taylor hasn't said anything like this. They're divided on whether or not she knew it was going to happen this way. If her team is keeping her from like speaking out about it, if Ticketmaster demanded that she do it this way. (laughs) And it's like, no, like she's done it differently before. And it was just like chaotic. Some of my friends didn't get any tickets. You know, the weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. Like it was real. It was, it's a dark time. Like talk about the Great War. It was just like. It was a bloodbath. So did you get tickets? I did. I got tickets. I <laughs> I, uh, I bought tickets. I had like six windows open for the six different nights at the LA stadiums. And okay. I only Wait, was able to get- she's playing six nights in LA? Yes. Yes. And it's like random. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So it's like these shows are bad. Like- you know, the Wednesday show, who wants to go to a Wednesday night concert, like an 8 p.m. concert yeah, in L.A. No, I where mean, traffic is I like mean, awful. Yeah, I, I'll do it, but I don't want to. Yes, you want the Saturday night <laughs> And it was sold out. It was sold out. And I ended up getting like nosebleeds, like literally um, like last row in the stadium seats. <laughs> but you're not going. But it'll be fun. But you're not going in Houston. No, I did get Houston too. I, I feel extremely lucky because someone ran the numbers and said there was a 5% chance of getting tickets if you had the pre-sale code. And so I like, I was lucky. I mean, it was a hell of an experience. My body is still tense. I couldn't sleep last night. I was so amped up, but I did it. I got it. And um, so, so your tickets in Houston are better. Yeah. They, okay. yeah, they're like lower bowl, but okay. 
Yeah. I had plans to like get floor seats one night, lower bowl for the others. I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to a show with my friends in Vegas, but they didn't get tickets. Like there were so many plans that just collapsed. And now there's this Capital One presale, which who knows how that's going to go. And then of course the general sale, people are already reselling tickets that they bought for like 20 grand on StubHub, which is just outrageous. It's ridiculous. Don't spend 20 grand. Like, because obviously the presale is not all of the tickets in the theater. Yeah. Or, so it's like, do you know what percentage of seats are still available? Does no, anyone know that? No, there's no insight into that. And it was like such a frustrating Ticketmaster thing where they're like, we like, we'll see how popular, we'll, as as you go through, like more tickets will be added. So you never knew if like, if you refreshed, if there'd suddenly be more in this section you wanted or not. It was just like people oh, were yeah. just like grabbing tickets wherever they could get them without like seeing where they were. And some of them were like behind the stage, like a major obstructed view. It's just like, I think it's the like chaos them, uh, was bad. It's like the day that COVID became real and everybody went to the grocery <laughs> yeah. store. I feel like yeah, that's exactly. the energy of this. That is like, exactly like you just energy. leave the grocery store and you have like a can of, of like you know squash, and you're like, what am I gonna yeah. do with? Like, why did I buy this? <laughs> what possessed me? Yeah, she also did something dirty or Ticketmaster, whoever. Where floor seats were basically only VIP packages, which is just like unspecified merch and like a lanyard that gets you early access to the venue, like five instead of five thirty. So a total ripoff, and they were going for like eight hundred dollars for these floor seats. And I it's mean like, that that sounds like a Taylor Swift move yeah, if I've yeah. ever heard one. Well, and that's the thing is those those the floor seats that don't get purchased as VIP tickets will be released as general admission or not general admission, but you know like a a basic ticket price, and yeah. those will be eaten up by like the bots on Friday general sale if no one else gets to them fast enough, and so it's sort of like icky and you know she's a capitalist queen like she's my problematic fave i'm i'm less endeared to her as a person as a businesswoman but man do i love her music and i'm very excited for these shows (laughs) i mean i guess i just like obviously she knows that she has lots of fans and that she has new fans i do think it is like maybe sort of tricky to determine exactly like how many people are going to buy tickets like how many people want these things how much are they willing to pay that kind of um for sure situation so i could see how she kind of misjudged like the amount of uh like interest or the amount of shows she'd need but it does yeah. seem wild to me that ticketmaster who sent out these pre-sale codes mm-hmm. were like not prepared for the people <laughs> To use them, because yeah. I'm because I'm trying like like I guess uh, do they send these presale codes out for other people and then and then a percentage of the presale codes just never get used? Like, are they working on some kind of rubric where it's like, right. well, for Adele, we sent out you know fifty thousand presale codes, but only actually twenty thousand people use them, and yeah. then for Taylor Swift, it's like the full amount. What I what I don't understand. I was texting with um. Sierra about this oh, yesterday yeah. and cause she was trying to get tickets and I don't know if she did it uh, or not, but she, um, we were, cause she didn't get the, the presale. So it was like, oh. she was, she was waiting for someone. And I feel like I saw so many people posting that they didn't get the, yeah 
pre-sale codes, which make it even harder for everyone else because then those people are like, okay, well, I got to get 10 tickets for, you know, all of these <laughs> yes. other people um, where hell. normally you're buying, you know, like two. Uh, yeah. But she was saying like, obviously there's such a demand. Why did Taylor not like come up with a new system or a way of doing these? You know, it's like she could... Yeah. Like, especially since this is in the summer and all of those football stadiums aren't being used for football, it's like, couldn't she have, you know, camped out at each one for like 10 days or something? I mean, I guess maybe she doesn't <laughs> Almost. She did that for that like LA. Time. And I think she, there's a few that have like five nights, um, which is her longest, like, this is her longest tour she's done. And she did release like, I don't remember the total number of shows, but yeah, it's totally wild that thinking back to Lover, she only had four US shows and it was easier to get tickets. And I have no idea how the math mathed on that. Like I don't, because it was again, a, a sort of verified fan pre-sale code situation. So it was stressful, but it was much more smooth and I got tickets. Like, and she went from four stadiums to now like over 30. And it's just like, what's happening there? Like, how did that happen? And I honestly, if I'm being cynical, I think she didn't like how the press was around her reputation because she did a thing where she would release tickets in waves so that people would be able to buy tickets like a month in advance instead of like at the pre-sale moment. So the, there were articles where it's like Taylor Swift has failed to sell, sell out her stadium, but she did. It was just in slower waves. And I feel like homegirl doesn't like a bad press day and so she's like well that wasn't worth the headache and the feedback and the the snark online so i'll just do i'll just do low maintenance you guys figure it out you battle it out like i don't give an f anymore because the, what was funny is that in the midst of this like in the middle of this bloodbath she posted a story that was just talking about how all too well 10 minute version was nominated for a grammy <laughs> Just like oh, no yes. comment on like Ticketmaster or the tickets or the or the sale or anything. It was just like she's in and her it, own world. And it's wild because like you have to imagine that there are like massive fans of Taylor Swift who did yes. not get tickets to this. Yes. And who would have spent a decent amount of money for it. So it's like are like she's obviously leaving a lot of money on the table by having this many people not get tickets. Um Yeah. Well the thing yeah, is the I, tickets are sold. So it's like, who, why does she care who shows up? Like one of her. Well, yeah, but she could sell more tickets is what I'm yeah. saying. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. It's like clearly she needs to have more dates or like do a residency yeah. or something because there's a big hunger for people who want to see her. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, the thing is like, she's so mainstream. Like the, um, the yeah. cross sections of people who like her are vast like yeah um because i mean you know i was just like on instagram and the people who would pop up with stories were like i didn't even know this person liked taylor swift like i've never (laughs) seen them post about taylor swift they're not someone who i would assume would like taylor swift and they're either trying to get tickets or didn't get tickets or got tickets um yeah i'm like very nervous for the beyonce situation whenever that happens but then i was trying to think and i was like i feel like beyonce's has less like her fans are more specific you know what i mean like like she has like a specific audience that really likes her and i i mean i think that she's you know a better performer but the the 
like she's not getting the same I think quadrants as Taylor Swift right. is getting because you could see like fifty year old like like um you know sort of like business executive gets a ticket through work kind of thing going to see a Taylor <laughs> Swift show where I feel like they're not going to see a Beyonce show in the same way. Yeah, and I think it's also like there's. I don't know. I think the the intersections there are interesting because you could argue like, oh, Taylor Swift has like this younger audience, this sort of family friendly, like take your tweens to a concert vibe. But then on top of that, I think there's this obsessiveness around like, I, I don't know what happened, like how she got the Kool-Aid around the nation at this point, but there's people wanting to go to multiple shows. There's just like this like hunger and desperation almost. Whereas I feel like, yeah, Beyonce fans are more cool and collected and it's like, I'm not going to wait. I don't, I don't know if there's, obviously there's super fans who would wait in a queue for seven hours to get a, a potential ticket to a Beyonce concert. But I also feel like they're just more level-headed maybe. <laughs> well, and I think <laughs> an older, an like more adult yeah. audience, you know, <laughs> like Taylor Swift, I feel like does have a lot of fans who are 15. Like I think Beyonce has fans who yeah. are 15, but Beyonce's fans I I don't think she's like drawing in like the new like children as much with uh, you know her like divorce album and etc yeah her new like 70s themed queer (laughs) club album (laughs) you know it's like more she has her her established fan base who's like been with her and loves her and celebrates that whereas Taylor Swift's chaotic sort of energy brings out like like every random person who's ever been like oh i've never been to a concert i should go to taylor swift and it's just like this weird flurry of like i don't know uh kind of like this fomo where it's like i've got to go everyone's going i've got to go and like i know taylor swift so why not type thing i don't know it's very interesting it would never cross my mind to go to a second show like I'm excited to see <laughs> yeah. Beyonce. Like, I, like I'll get the New York tickets, but like to fly to you know Denver to watch her again, yeah. and I'm like, no, why? Like, why would I do that? I'm already seeing her once. So These fun. tickets are expensive. Like, I'm not gonna. Yeah. Like I'll see her on her next tour. Like, yeah. what do I need to go see the same show twice for? And maybe that's part of it too. Is like Taylor Swift has built a reputation for having like different surprises and twists and like she'll switch up half of her set list um on her like b stage so like maybe there is like this like oh grab surprise grab bag style yeah i mean Um, if you do work to make every show unique then you will have people who like want to see every show yeah so and, yeah. And you would have to assume, especially with this concert where she's performing stuff from all of her albums, like yeah. she's going to do that even more because she has so much stuff to choose from. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Like I wonder, because I've I've only ever had a good time at a Taylor Swift concert. She puts on a really fun, like over the top, like, you know, sure you don't think like she's not like the strongest dancer or whatever, but she makes a visual like Oh, well, yeah. I mean, she's leaning on that. So (laughs) it's got to be good. You know, she's not like Casey Musgrave who can just go out and stand on the stage and, (laughs) you know, sing for two hours. And you know what? She's the one who like popularized those like light up bracelets for every individual, which I think has now been adopted by almost every performance everywhere. And it's just like such a fun vibe. So I'm very excited. I'm, I'm salty about it. I'm glad I survived it. 
Um, am I going to try will, for Capital One? Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, will you be back for the Capital One and the general sale and the I'm just, resale I'm just trying to get floor. That's it. I'm not going to like spend more than I'm willing. Like I'm not going to buy the VIP tickets. So I'm more just like curiously jumping in. So I feel a lot less stressed now that I have tickets. And I recognize that people will probably be mad at me for being greedy. But like, I just want to actually get tickets. She got she got some like we all miss, she didn't get all the ones she wanted but she does have well she um, wanted forty five tickets yeah so yeah. let's be real <laughs> we all did the the woman went to see seventeen stops yeah. on the reputation tour <laughs> and all of them were so fun <laughs> okay yeah you know what such a shame that it was so hard to get tickets ah we won't be able to go <laughs> shall be dang it I was so looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the venues still hold their little like press and uh, vendor tickets. So I'll send a few DMs closer to the dates and see if we can get in for your your sake. Okay, perfect. Yes. We'll get you Buzz- there. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, we have been pumping out so much Taylor Swift content yeah. at BuzzFeed that like they owe us something. I mean, with the yeah. with probably a fifth of the uh, ticket sale price should be going <laughs> to BuzzFeed revenue with the amount of crap we've written. I haven't written any of it, but I've seen well, it. You got to start building it up so that you can arguably say you'll write an ar- article about it. You know, you know I- what? You I- can pitch it now as like, I want to write an article about going to the concert as a hater and seeing what I come out as. No, I don't. I I think I think I figured out my in. Taylor Swift is thirsty for an Oscar, and I <laughs> write awards coverage. I think that's the angle that we have to play. <laughs> okay, is that yeah. I'm like a You're film like, mm-hmm. writer, and I'll get and it. We'll, I'll open some doors for her. <laughs> well, and we'll and we'll write about how oh yeah, t- all all too well ten minute version definitely deserves an an Oscar <laughs> up against you know acclaimed filmmakers. <laughs> okay, well, should we get into the the point of this episode? Um, yes, we've been putting yes. it off far too much. Well, I um, mean, we had you know. Bigger fish feet man to fry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we get to talk about Wakanda forever, which I'm excited to discuss. I uh, I was trying to remember if you like mentioned your first thoughts on the podcast, but I think it was just to me privately where you spoiled it. Oh, yes. Yes, where I, <laughs> where I did spoil it, where I told you who the Black Panther was. But I thought that was in the previews. <laughs> Was I wrong? It was not. It was not. I thought it was obvious. I, I well, I guess here's the thing. I felt like I knew it going in. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it is obvious, but you never know. So it was still a spoiler in the technical. Uh, okay, we know you love so. a technical spoiler. Yeah, <laughs> but Wakanda Forever sequel to Black Panther. Obviously, it's been riddled with tragedies first and foremost with Chadwick Boseman's early passing which honestly was so sad I revisiting this like watching the press tour around this movie it was sad to hear from these actors and directors talking about how they first learned the news and like how they process that and just a reminder of like how shocking that that news was because none of these people knew that he was even sick and so Obviously, as like general public, we were all shocked and sad, but to have worked so closely with someone to have built this sort of, you know, family around this film and franchise to have that 
news break would be just like so horrifying. And so I think it's been interesting, like seeing that coverage and, and remembering that, um, moment and then seeing how they adapted that and how it colored this film um, definitely adds to sort of the richness and complexities of making a second film when you've when you've lost your 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 title character yeah yeah it is I mean it's sort of crazy to think about the production of this movie because you know they had been working on it in you know early stages but like like yeah yeah but had planned what it would be and then obviously Tradwick passes away and that's their main character so they have to figure out how they're going to rework this I mean and and this is and it's not just a regular sequel it's not a sequel you know it's not Shrek 2 or something where it's like okay (laughs) the only thing that's relying on it is Shrek 1 like this is in this larger franchise. So there's obviously yeah. going to be things that this movie has to do is required to do so that the future movies can in the Marvel series can, you know, work off of it. And now TV shows and things that, you know, they were, they had already set up in earlier films or shows that they couldn't change. So there was a lot of um, like, I think it took a lot of work for them to figure out how to hit all the points that they needed to for the MCU, how to make a strong sequel to the original Black Panther that did so well, and then how to just make a good movie in and of itself that's not just, you know, checking a bunch of boxes. Um, So I do not envy them the task of putting this together. How well do you think that they did with this? Like, overall thoughts, like, did you like it? Did you not like it? What were your sort of high... Yeah. Uh, view of it. Well, I feel like there was a moment there where the first the first chunk of it, I was like, wow, this is better than the first one. Like I really liked everything leading up to that first attack on Wakanda when the Namor's people, what are they called? The Tal. Oh yeah, the water people. Yeah. Um, when they attack Wakanda. And I was like, damn, this is great. I'm vibing. I like the characters. I like the essence. Everything's like going well. And then I looked at my phone and realized we had an hour and a half left. And that's when I was like, oh, interesting. And it kind of like, I think overall, it like started off like whoosh, great. And then kind of fizzled to, oh, it got a little, it kind of lost the thread in the end. It kind of unraveled a little bit for me. And so overall, it's like a B. Like I thought it would be better than the first, but then it kind of fizzled. And so there were some disappointments and some confusion. And I feel like the ending especially failed to kind of pull together the threads. And so it felt like the ending was rushed, even though it was also feeling very long. Because this is one of the longest Marvel movies. It's two hours and 40 minutes. It's coming in just behind Endgame. And by for the first half, you don't really feel it. But then it does. For me, it started to feel like very long and kind of unnecessary ways. And also left you with gaping holes where you're like, huh, I wish they'd focus more on that. Or I wish they'd focus less on this. And so overall, it was like, Obviously not a bad film and one of the better of the more recent films for sure. Um, I think it's only like behind Shang-Chi for me in this Marvel phase four or whatever. Um, But yeah, I don't know. It was kind of like, oh, okay. Like 
they did the best they could, but I also wish they just ironed it out a little bit in the end. Yeah. I mean, when I, I, I didn't really feel its length. I don't think while I was watching Mm. it, um, I, I really enjoyed it and liked like the watching experience of it, you know, mm-hmm. like I sort of left the theater being like, Oh, like that was good. I think, I mean, I haven't seen the first one since it, since it was in theaters. So yeah. I, um, so I, I was having like a little bit of trouble comparing like, okay, how did I feel when the, when I finished watching the first one versus how did I feel finishing watching this one? And also I think the first one was one of the first like, Marvel like was a Marvel movie that I saw and then I think we started the podcast pretty shortly after so then I've seen all the Marvel movies since we're going into the first one I hadn't watched a bunch of the previous ones so I was like I think that might have also impacted my thoughts on it where the first one I had watched I hadn't watched any so I was like oh okay like this was really good I really like this this seems (laughs) different from what I'm expecting this one I think because I had seen so many bad ones in the (laughs) in the middle of that i was like oh this is great but yeah. that was because i'm comparing it to like thor love and thunder and yeah. strange uh doctor strange. doctor strange and the yeah. whatever the hell it was and um <laughs> ant-man versus the wasp and you yeah. know that kind of thing yeah. um but but then thinking about it more i was like there's a couple of sort of like philosophical things that I think the movie did that I did not love. There's a couple yeah. uh there's stuff regarding the TV series which continue <laughs> to irk me. I felt like as the ending to phase 4, this is sort of a weird movie to cuz it didn't yeah. really tie up anything necessarily um in the grand in the larger Marvel universe. Um yeah, I thought some of the characters got like a good, you know, got to do cool things and and fun stuff, and some of them didn't. I thought some of the fight scenes were cool, but some of them I was like, "Yeah, this is a little lame." So I think looking back on it, I'm a little bit less enthused than I was yeah. like leaving the theater. I still think it's a very good movie. Like, yeah, if I was if I had to do a ranking of the Marvel movies that I've seen, I feel like this would be towards the top of the list. Um, And there's a lot of really cool stuff at play here. It just wasn't quite, uh, you could tell this was like attempting to do, yes, a lot of different things. And I think in trying to do them all, there's a couple of them that they didn't do very well. And I sort of wish that they had scrapped some of the aspects of the movie. And just, it's kind of the, it's kind of a perfect encapsulation of the albatross that has become the Marvel Cinematic Universe because yes, because when you compare Shang Chi, when you compare Black Panther, like there's some freedom there that allows for these sort of breaths of fresh air where it's like, whoa, this is so different and fun and vibrant. But once you're added into this, you know, card deck of tricks for Marvel. It, you become burdened by like filling in the gaps for their bigger picture, which you don't feel in the early phase one, phase two of Marvel because we didn't as a, I don't think they necessarily knew how it would all play together, but also we as an audience weren't sure what, we weren't thinking of like, oh my gosh, how are they all going to come together in Avengers Endgame? Like, what's this going to be? And so there was still this feeling of each movie kind of being a standalone franchise, Whereas now you have you see the heavy handedness of these like, oh, we've got a shoving. Uh, I just want to call her Selena. Um, 
uh, I have the, no idea who you're talking about. Veep. Uh, Julia. Oh, yes. Yeah, Julia Louis Dreyfus's character. I yeah. had no idea who the hell that was. Yeah. She showed up on the screen, and I was, and people were like, I could tell excited in the theater. And I was yeah. like, I have no idea who this woman is. And she then was turns in, out she, she's in Black Widow. That's where her first appearance was. As I like do not a, remember that. In the, in the end scene credit. And then she was in Hawkeye. Oh. So she's, oh, yeah, I, the, she's like I did a, not watch. Yeah. Ha- I did not watch Hawkeye or the or I oh, I thought she was in uh, w- Winter Captain and the Falconer. Oh, probably that, too. I didn't watch that one. But yeah, she's been like a TV player mostly. And I think is being set up as sort of the American foil, like the bad guy, the sort of puppet master of the uh, of the. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's unknown yet, but we're still, like, forced to have this kind of, like, shoved-in character. And then, yeah, to your point, Ironheart is a Disney Plus show that's been announced. Oh, yes. That was the... Yeah, this is a newly introduced character in this world, which is this MIT, you know, wonder kid um, genius. And so she has sort of her origin story here, and it's all just to, like, lead into the... So, anyways, it starts to feel like like there's 20 percent well not there's probably like 20 minutes of this film that is just fodder for future projects and that starts to feel like a lot when you're in a two-hour runtime already um but yeah like looking at critic reviews like on metacritic this has 67 compared to 88 for black panther i think people were generally like it was fine but not great uh similarly on rotten tomatoes it is 84 percent fresh um uh but Black Panther had like 96%. So Black Panther was one of the only Marvel movies to ever crack like the Academy Awards discussions and nominations. This one will not, you know, that's kind of the vibe. And so it's like, it was serviceable, but it wasn't great. And it's hard to kind of talk about where they could have gone better because they are kind of burdened with this larger picture. And so how much is in their control? Yeah, I mean, I guess to sort of talk about the plot a little yeah i do (laughs) think like so we we open obviously um t'challa chadwick boseman's character has died um his death is sort of not fully explained um like he has some kind of disease but illness but yeah, and I kept sort of waiting for some sort of like, well, was he poisoned? Like some kind of plot point that would have right. to do more with how he died. But we never really, we never sort of ventured back to that. So I don't know if that's something that we're going to get later or that's just something no. that's not like important. I think that was um, intentional. I think that was them not wanting to sort of, I don't know, Hollywoodize this real tragedy. I think it's like, Sort of like I went into this thinking about the Fast and the Furious franchise and how they dealt with, um, oh, yeah, uh, Paul Rudd's death or not Paul Rudd, (laughs) um, but his death and how you know it was different because they'd already filmed like 70% of the movie. But watching how they bid farewell to that character, like they didn't want it to be this death to add to the real tragedy almost, and so they weren't gonna have him like die in a fiery car crash because yikes. And instead, they, like, let him go off into the sunset. And I think this was sort of the flip side of that, where they're like, we have to have him die, but we don't want to make it another layer of trauma for the actors. Yeah. And so it was just like, let's just have this reflect reality in a way. And, like, 
let that feed into our themes of grief and how that how that influences our characters and sort of the unpredictability of who loses what and like at what cost things come. And so I think that was intentional. I don't think it'll be some sort of spicy thing. I think it was kind of awkward the way they had to make that work because I was like, wait, didn't he take, they were trying to like make the purple flower to save him, but didn't he already take the purple flower in the last one? And, and so it was sort of like, Oh, like how did he actually die? Like within the rules of this universe? I don't know, but I think it's just, that's how they. Right. And I wasn't sure. Yeah. Like is the purple flower, like, an elixir to everything. Um, right, exactly. It's like, yeah, I, w- I couldn't remember him? exactly all of the rules. But so then, then the opening, yeah, section of the movie, I think is really strong because it's all yes. of the different characters from the first one, minus Daniel Kaluuya. I feel like yeah. he's the only character who doesn't reappear here. Um, kind of trying to, going through their grief, figuring things out. Angela Bassett gets a lot of really strong scenes at the oh, beginning. Yeah. If there was something Oscar worthy in this film that I think that they could feasibly market, I think it would be a supporting actress campaign for her. She's yeah. never been nominated for an Oscar. She's obviously a very talented actress. She um, is well liked. Supporting actress isn't a super strong category this year. Um, you know, the, the Academy always needs more diversity in their nominees. So I think that that would be a really, yeah, uh, you know, good choice for her to honor her um, in that way. But yeah, so so we have sort of this this grieving process. You know, we're getting to see what a funeral looks like in Wakanda. It's gorgeous costumes, gorgeous mm-hmm. sets, like just beautiful in the way that it kind of brings you into this somber story. And then we, um, we get this plot line that there is, uh, that the vibranium, which is the chemical that Wakanda has, that's able to, you know, that they're able to make all of this cool (laughs) stuff with. Yeah. They think that they have it all. Turns out that there's actually some at the bottom of the sea and that somebody else and that the Americans are trying to find this so that they can, you know, kind of go up against Wakanda or Wakanda doesn't have all of this power over them. Um, And we find out that the vibranium under the sea is owned by these um, like sort of Atlantis type figures um, who live underwater. Yes, who also have, um, who also have a lot of powers, but have been secret this entire time, and are now sort of being pushed into the spotlight because the world is looking for the vibranium that they have underwater that they haven't had to deal with surface people for a long time. Um, and so I think, like all through that those scenes are really strong. Like the scene where Mm -hmm. the boat is trying to get the vibranium and the, they attack the first time is really good. Even the scene, which has to do with Ironheart because they're like in Cambridge trying to collect (laughs) her or whatever, but there's a scene like there's sort of a chase scene. And then it's on the, on this bridge that I think is really good. Um, And I really loved the setup for the new sort of villain of the, um, group named more because you know uh, obviously Black Panther is so cool artistically because it's drawing from all of this 
African culture in mm-hmm. a way that most of the other superheroes are sort of like devoid of, you know, cultural cachet. Yeah. And so to make the like new world in this one really um, like hinging on like uh, indigenous Second Central day. American culture, I thought was very interesting and a cool move and like aesthetically really neat because of all of the different you know outfits and stuff that they can pull Mm -hmm. together with that so when i when they were sort of introducing that set of characters i was again really excited because i thought oh this is uh like this is very clever this is not necessarily the angle that i would have thought to have gone in but i like how we're creating sort of another one of these really rich worlds Mm -hmm. um but then I feel yeah. like at that point, it's sort of, that's that's the moment when it kind of fell off for me a little bit, was once, yeah. we, once everything was set up, and then it was like, <laughs> okay, well, now what are we going to do? That's when it, yeah. it was the now what that they didn't necessarily land. Yeah, because Namor is another great anti-hero slash, you know, if we want to call him the villain of the film, it's very much Killmonger uh, vibes, where Killmonger was this really rich character where you could understand his perspective, where it's like he's grown up seeing his people, you know, the African-Americans being abused. He's seen the effects of colonization on the world and he knows that vibranium could turn the tides. And he's like, why wouldn't I help my people when we've just been marginalized and abused by, uh, you know, these Europeans for so long and these, these world powers. And so it's like, he's doing it in a vengeful, angry um, cruel way, but you kind of understand it. And you're like, well, you know, that's the whole journey of that film. And so to have it mirrored again in Namor, Namor, who is like, he watched his people get destroyed by colonists and the uh, destruction of Central America and Mexico and all that. And it's just like, you understand where these people are coming from and he's taken on this mantle of protecting his people at any cost. And so they've been like in this little literal bubble under the sea protected for centuries. And now he's like, well, if the people are going to come for me, then I want to get the first hit, the first hit. in." And so like, let's go to war and destroy them all. And you're like, Oh wow, that's kind of bad. But then that's why I think the movie is interesting. And I wish it had leaned in more because because it it wants us to the bigger picture is that white people are the problem, right? Like the the history yes. of colonialism, that's the problem. The the continued attacks on, uh, you know, second third world, like whatever you want to call it, cultures to profit these bigger power groups is the problem. And they make a really good point of that in the beginning with Queen Ramonda going to the UN. And there's like this reveal of a French, you know, military group trying to raid uh, the vibranium, I don't know, uh, mining. (laughs) Who knows how vibranium works, but they're trying to steal vibranium. And she has predicted this because she knows that since they've lost Black Panther, there's, they're perceived as a weakness. And so their so-called, you know, friends, their so-called, uh, UN compatriots are willing to go against them to, to, to protect themselves, to get, their own, you know, for their own greedy reasons. And she makes this really impassioned speech and is like, no, I don't have to help you because you've never helped us. And in fact, you're trying to actively hurt us and that's never going to fly for me. So sorry, not sorry, bye. 
And I thought that would become like the, I thought that would become the rousing moment where these two cultures combine, not to maybe, you know, go to war and annihilate, but to realize they're stronger together. And I think that's where they're trying to get the storyline in the end. But that means you spend a two hour movie watching them fight each other, which you know, I can see the poeticness there because that is what tends to happen is that is that we we waste time fighting against our own interests because we are trying to protect our individual selves when there's a bigger villain at play. But it just felt kind of like unexplored because the other interesting part of the plot is that Namor comes out of hiding to demand Wakanda finds this scientist who created the tool to be able to discover vibranium. And I thought that was Lake Bell, who's introduced in this like water fight in the early period. Um, She's the scientist who's like built the machine and has found the vibranium and is attacked by these Tolokans. And I thought she was going to come up again. But instead, it turns out that it's this genius black kid at MIT who just did it for a class project and her professor stole it. And I thought, damn, that's such a good, that's such a good like window into the um, like subtle cruelty of these white powers that continually steal and steal culture and steal from people without giving them any of the benefits. And then they're the ones who suffer for it. But it was just kind of like a, it was just kind of like a coincidence that they never explored. I thought Lake Bell didn't actually die and she'd come back up somehow. I thought the government would have to deal with like this fallout of like the, the thievery. And then on top of that, it didn't make sense for Namora to even know that this scientist existed or to think that killing her would mean that these these papers and you know <laughs> hadn't been duplicated and that the the that it was a one and done type of machine like it I'm sure that the US government has copies of of these plans to make this machine at this point so it seemed like yeah. a, a futile mission in a way yeah I agree I also thought that the iron heart stuff was like very shooed in I was like yeah. this like she did there was not necessarily a reason for her to be in this movie other than they just wanted to introduce her for the tv show like they could have easily you know come up with a sort of slightly different plot point and then that would have with just some random scientist that would have saved us a lot of time um and then done her whole thing in another movie but yeah no that's i mean and i we were sort of taught i was sort of like thinking about this last week while we were talking about tar because i had seen this before that before we had recorded Mm -hmm. um and sort of yeah the like how the people with the most power like pit the people with less power against one another in order to save themselves um you know you see this all the time in the real world with like you know these various disenfranchised groups like fighting against one another when really if they you know sort of were able to team up and go against the big bad then it it things would be much better for them. And in this movie, it's really frustrating to sit and watch as you know that the Julia Louis-Dreyfus character and these like rich American and European aristocrats are, I mean, one, the ones who are actively trying to harm the Wakandans in general, but then also are the ones who put them in these situations through just general colonization. 
yeah. and slavery and, you know, all of the other horrible things that they brought to these continents. And so initially when these two, when the two main groups are fighting against one another in the film, I thought, okay, like this is sort of going to be like a precursor. And right. then at some point we're going to get the message of like, wait, if we actually team up, then we can go against the bad guys. And that just like never came to fruition. And it was really frustrating to sort of sit there for so long and watch these two groups of people who you really like and who have already been through so much like sustain more losses yeah. i mean it's an it's a very marvel way of doing it so it's like we don't see any blood everybody's you know sort of just like <laughs> yeah. kicked off a ship or whatever <laughs> but you're but like they've they're completely like laying waste to Wakanda at one point they're you know killing people on these ships it's just it was just super depressing and then at the end they like sort of um had like a kind of truce truce type of thing but it wasn't it didn't like hit hard enough as I felt like it should have and then you get this scene right at the end where Namor is sort of like like it's it's inferred that he like was just doing it for Fate, like making this truce for like not like he didn't believe in the truce and that he was like going to try to count mount another attack and I was like that's not what I want to see that's not what we should be showing like that's not where this plot should be going the plot should be that Namor and Wakanda are teaming up together to go after whoever else. Like that's what this movie should have been setting up. So that then for the third black Panther, you know, it's like the two of them versus whoever the bad person is. Um, yeah. And well, I just and felt it's like weird. that oh, yeah. wasn't happening. Yeah. It was like, cause it was also confusing. Cause he was kind of like, he was like, I-, I read it. Like he was saying, we will, they'll realize that we need to go in together type thing. And if not, then I'll do this again. But he was also like painting and, you know, like honoring them in art. And it was like, it was a weird, I think it comes back to the fact that the the main through line of this movie is Shuri, the sister of um, Black Panther. She is clearly suffering the most of this. The, The idea is that she's hiding behind like technology and she doesn't like, want to deal with her feelings. She wants to just focus on like tangible work and she hasn't been able to process her grief. She, she feels guilty in some ways for not being able for having all this geniusness and not being able to save her brother. And that's like, she's meant to carry the film and it's meant to be like this crossroads moment where similar to black Panther's journey across the captain America franchise and into his solo film where he's like, trying to avenge his father's death and then realizes like, no. And then realizing again that maybe we should be doing more for our people like Killmonger um, wanted. And so she has a similar plot where she's like, I want to watch the world burn. I've lost everything I care about and I just want people to suffer. I can't move on from this. I want to avenge this. And so it's meant to be this sort of triumphant moment in the final act where there's like a lot of storylines converging. There's a lot of stylistic overlap where there's like quick cuts to different fights and different memories as she like realizes like, do I want to be like Killmonger or do I want to be like Black Panther, like my brother and choose like a softer way to find peace and to 
also move forward together. But the problem is she's no Chadwick Boseman, you know, like she does, she does her best, but it's like, I think that was kind of the gaping hole for me is that the performances in this film almost highlighted the lack of charisma that Chadwick Boseman had brought to this role. I think Angela Bassett does a great job and has some of the most powerful scenes in this movie, but I don't think Shuri was able to carry the film in the way she needed to. Oh yeah, no, definitely not. And especially like, because the first half, you have a lot of Angela Bassett, you have a lot of Denai Guerrera, who I think are both Mm -hmm. strong. And then they're both sort of like shipped out in the second half. And the um well or angela bass's character dies but the uh <laughs> but then but then Blech. yeah you you have like shuri sort of carrying it shuri and the new girl ironheart who are both sort of like meh i feel like in acting yeah. and then you have lupita who pops in for like these scenes and is obviously incredible but i think that just goes to show even yeah. more so how shuri is not yeah great She's just like sort of awkward and stilted. I saw her, um, what's the actress's name? Um, Letitia Wright. I saw her yeah. in a movie earlier this year in Tribeca, and she has a similar energy in yeah. her, I think, in in most of her work, where she's just like she I think I think she was perfectly utilized in the first one where she was sort of this like fun kid yeah, sister. She's able to be spunky. Um yeah, but her being serious is mostly yeah. just her kind of being quiet and glowering. Yeah. And that didn't necessarily play super well. And then you have a scene, I mean, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler alert, but you also <laughs> get a scene where um, oh, yeah. she sort of like goes into this dream world and is going up against Michael B. Jordan, who is yeah. back in for one scene as Killmonger. And you're yet again remembered like, ah, okay. The first thing we had so many incredible yeah. actors in it and Letitia Wright is not that yeah and even against Namor who's uh I uh oh yeah I loved dead. him he was He's great new. yeah he was very he was very charismatic and like kind of a dark brooding style of like a very sexy and like <laughs> he was giving he was like oh yeah anytime I was, like, he was monologuing him, yeah we were like oh this is fun like I And so watching them, like, they have this long sort of interaction where he's trying to convince her of why why he wants to burn the world. Like, he's sharing his origin story. And watching them in a scene together, she's just so flat. And I don't know – I don't know if that was, like, a choice for the character because she's, like, you know, dead inside. But it just – it made it hard to feel like the payoff in the end was there because – when she decides not to, when she decides to show mercy and not kill this guy, it was sort of like, okay, like, I don't know. And then she just like, wasn't giving enough emotion for these like final moments to feel like really powerful or like final. It was sort of like hard. And on top of that, you have this like weird, I don't know, the simple, the simplistic storyline of like, oh, we're better than this. It's hard to feel when we've watched a whole movie of them killing people anyway. So it's like, why is this death the line? Like, why is this murder the line? Like, it's like, this isn't like watching Batman decide 
not to murder the Joker because he doesn't kill people, you know? Like, this... They've, like, killed people throughout this film. I I wish that there had been more opportunity for um, her to either really establish a morality because it was just kind of confusing that the last... That this, like, oh, to kill or not to kill this one character was her line of like realizing she needed to let go and move on away from vengeance. Like it wasn't clear to me why, how that was meant to be like the end of her character arc. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. I think I do. Um, It will be interesting, I guess, to sort of pivot here into the Marvel universe as a whole. This was the end of phase four, which I think it's like the first three phases of Marvel in the, what was that series? This we're now in the multiverse saga. The first saga was called the infinity yeah. saga, according to Wikipedia. Um, hmm. And the first three phases all ended with an Avengers movie. You know, it's like the a first phase it's setting up these various characters. Then we get the Avengers. Then, you know, we're setting up more. It, most of those characters get a second film. We get a couple new characters. Then we have age of Ultron. Then we have more like third films, more new characters, and we get the um, end game and infinity war. And I think that structure makes a lot of sense for me to end phase four here is just like sort of confusing because (laughs) we got like like a a smattering of movies. We have, we have movies like Shang-Chi Eternals, um, which are, introducing new characters then we also had black widow which was like a prequel then we had (laughs) spider-man nowhere home doctor strange into the multiverse of madness and thor love and thunder which were all sequels um but sequels that dealt with the multiverse in you know to more or less extent in different ways yeah. yeah and then now we have black panther which didn't really deal with the multiverse at all didn't tie into the other movies very much and also just sort of felt like it wasn't very conclusion-y as a film itself. So I don't understand sort of what they're doing here with this phase. Um, And then now we're moving... That is interesting. And now we're moving into phase five, which the movies for that are the new Ant-Man, the new Guardians of the Galaxy... The Marvels, which is sort of like a Captain Marvel spinoff with some new characters. The new Captain America. Thunderbolts, which I'm not sure what that is. And then Blade, which is like a reimagining of another Marvel character that's already sort of like had series, but now we're bringing him in. And that's the end movie for Phase 5. So I'm sort of like, what the hell is happening? (laughs) That is interesting because I feel like... You know, obviously they ended with Avengers movies, but also throughout that you had Captain America movies, which were basically Avenger movies, and there was a lot of overlap in characters interacting. Whereas you listing off these phase four, like, yes, Doctor Strange pops up, or yes, there's weird cameos, but narratively there's not like uh, teams gather and solve a problem type vibe. Like they're all very insular. And I wonder if it's just like, Hmm, that's curious. I I don't know how to feel about that. But yeah, this phase has felt messy. And this movie adds to that mess because it does stand alone in such a real way. Like it is so like un... Like it makes reference to the snap. But other than that, it doesn't like... Nothing else has happened to this community. Like they're very much... 
there's no reference to any other, you know, world event um, that has gone on in the phase before it. I, I do feel like that's, that was the awkwardness is like the having this like battle between the two cultures and then having the C plot be the, um, the like CIA angle that did absolutely nothing. I kept waiting for something oh, yeah. to happen, but really it was just them driving. What happened in that because it was so dumb. Yeah, it was just like them driving around in a so, car. Yeah, and it and then like the their favorite colonizer. I don't remember his name. He gets like arrested for helping them, and then gets rescued by by Wakanda again, which. I feel like that was like almost its own movie that again was just trying to move um, Julia Louis Dreyfus's character forward, but also set up for some future project. But it's like having that happening while these two cultures were fighting was like giving me the ick because they were like ready to kill Namor, but were still going to rescue this like white CIA dude because he was like nice to them once. And it's just, that was kind of like odd to me and it all felt like what is this leading to like i don't know what they're like the big battle that's coming is kong and the um i don't remember what this if avengers movie title is oh yeah it's a secret Secret wars Wars. or something yeah yeah Yeah. which is coming in phase six because phase six (laughs) is only deadpool three fantastic four and then two avengers movies (laughs) <laughs> so this is yeah i, I think that i i think that marvel may have jumped the shark at some point here in between <laughs> um i'm gonna say that it was some point in between now and when uh like i think in the last year because between i think spider-man no way home or whatever the last spider-man movie did was obviously very did very well and then I think some point in between that and now with all of the TV series and stuff and a bunch of movies that sort of underperformed that Marvel is not like on its A game necessarily. Because we we also have a whole bunch of more TV shows coming in um, in phase five that are, you know, like so, sort of connected to things, but sort of not. Um, and the... It, for I thought that Black Panther was going to come out and do, you know, gangbusters numbers, and it obviously has done well. But like its opening weekend was weaker than Doctor Strange's last opening weekend, which feels yeah. crazy <clears throat> to me. Um, I it's just I feel like not the cultural event that either the original Black Panther or like the two End Game movies were, and I think that. I don't know why that is other than the fact that there's like some Marvel fatigue, I think going on and people are just having more trouble tracking everything. Yeah. And it's like, there's something like sad about this movie and that's very intentional, but also because it just the, the true story behind the production, but it's just like, I think this movie meant something. um, And I wonder if Marvel, like, you know, Kevin Feige kind of gave Ryan Coogler, like, you know what, you do your thing, like protect this story as you need to protect it and we'll just uh, adapt around it type thing. Like if there was sort of a freedom in some ways to not make it a bigger, splashier to do because it did have to navigate this grief that 
was at the core of it because they lost its its main character. Um, but yeah, it's sort of like <laughs> Marvel as a whole. You do have the fatigue. You have too many shows happening, mediocre shows happening. And and then all these characters that are supposedly lining up for some big battle, but but when, you know, like it's just like it's it's exhausting to feel like, oh, the pieces on the chessboard are moving, but we have no idea what the play is. Whereas there were like infinity stones and all this sort also, of stuff throughout the other no, ones. The 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 there's too many people pieces on the chessboard yeah you know exactly. like the original avengers like even when you got to endgame and you had all of those characters like and they all show up in that final sequence it's still like only what maybe like 30 people 30 40 yeah. and those have been spread out over all of these movies where i feel like we have gotten 30 or 40 new characters in just the past like year when you factor in all of the tv shows and the yeah. movies and the yeah. and like when's harry styles coming back you know like all of these different <laughs> sort of one-off things the cameos it's, yeah, yeah it's so and the people and then you have people coming in from different multiverses like i think that yeah. if they were going to do the multiverse they needed to sort of pair down rather than pair up and it's like yeah, it's you know. chaos. Well, and this movie ends with a mid credit scene where it's revealed that T'Challa and um, Lupita Nyong'o's character had a had a child that she was she was pregnant during the snap and raised this kid in secret, and it's their name T'Challa too. And so it's like that felt like one. It was a sweet homage. Two. It allowed the T'Challa character to continue on because people were like sad that they were losing because you know yeah like there presumably he could come back and Marvel. be a black yeah. panther in like five yeah. years ten years but then also you have oh this is gonna play into they're having a tv show of the young avengers and he'll be able to be a character in it and it's just like it's become so like not even fan servicey just like corporate almost where it's like oh we're gonna have toys we're gonna have spinoffs we're gonna have packaging and it's like Everything has to be something else instead of just being a good movie on its own. And it's like, yeah, it's hard to feel like these are going to come together in a powerful way because the multiverse just means anyone can show up from any multiverse and it might not even be the character version you know. Like it could just be like, oh, uh, I don't I don't know like it could be Black Widow from World 792 who likes chicken instead of hamburgers you know like it's just like there's too much available that it feels like we've lost any sort of emotional through line to these characters yeah and just too many people and just too many characters i i would <laughs> like to document this as an episode you know i feel like the two of our through lines through the podcast have been one you like marvel movies and i don't Two, you like <laughs> Taylor Swift, and I don't. And I think Taylor and Marvel movies are both sort of starting to, you know, like yeah. like make poor choices. And you're going yeah. through sort of a reckoning of what to do in a life a where crisis. those two things are actually not good anymore. <laughs> I know. I know, because can we talk about, like, just very quickly – the the speech in the trailer is Angela Bassett being like, have I not given everything? Like, I stand in this room and I have no one left. Like, have I not given enough? And I thought that was so powerful, so beautiful, so sad. She does it so well. 
But then the, that speech was aimed at her like right hand woman, like the leader of her army felt so unnecessary, like so unearned and so reactive that I it's almost like sad that she didn't get a chance to take that back. But that just kind of felt like the whole movie where it was like there were these moments that were so cool, like there were some great fight sequences, but then they were all like pulled back to sort of these weird haphazard endings. And the finale of this film had like six different endings that were unclear, like, like, oh, she's going to have to do her ceremonial crowning of the Black Panther in this on this cliffside. But then M'Baku shows up and is like, no. And I'm like, wait, so is she king? Is she is she Black Panther? Is she not? Is she retiring? Like, yeah. what's happening there? And then it's like, yeah, the weird costume of the new superhero, like with the dreadlocks almost, that looks very Predator style oh, design. Yes. It's a hideous yes, costume. Th- yes. Hideous. So ugly. Absolutely and, hate and it. And the whole time they're making jokes about how ugly it is, but then I'm like, well, why did you keep it then? Like, what? Yeah. And it's like, I thought the dreadlocks were going to turn out to be like some sort like of snakes or something. Necessary yeah, thing, no. But it's just an ugly style choice. And it's unclear why, like everything about it just felt like there were all these half finished endings that I'm unsure what the final ending is. Like, I don't know, like you said with Namor, like, is he mad? Is he cool with her? Like, what's the vibe? I don't know. And I feel like that's the continued frustration with these Marvel movies is there's never an actual ending because there's always a mid credit scene that means some other open-endedness somewhere. And so there's not like closure at the end of these films because it's just like, like Dr. Strange ending with him being revealed to have a third eye. Like what the F was that? Like, I don't, I don't know what I meant to feel at the end of these things, except they're trying to get us to show up for the next one. Well, and then this one didn't even have a end credit scene. Which yeah. I thought was like sort of annoying <laughs> because Lord. I sat there the whole time and then got nothing. Yeah, <laughs> nothing. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 we can't talk about this anymore. Um, <laughs> we'll be back next week. It's my birthday episode. We're talking about Timothy Chalamet movies in honor uh, yes. of Bones and all the cannibalism movie coming out this week. Yeah, I still have Last to see week. that. I think it's out. Yeah. Um so Shelby needs to see that. We'll be talking about him next week ahead of Thanksgiving. Um we'll uh, we'll be we'll all be staying tuned for the new Taylor Swift drama as that <laughs> happens with this concert. It seems ill-fated for us all. Um in the meantime, you can follow us on social media, you can leave us a review, you can send us an email and we will talk to you guys next week. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>